Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 153. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Mashad. Locked and loaded. We are back, of course, once again to talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo. So naturally, that means news, that means game impressions, and that means this week's big topic, which is all about our favorite video game robots. <laughs> However, let's start things off by talking about a new game that is near and dear to my heart, one that just came out yesterday as we are recording this, and that is Mega Man 11 for the Nintendo Switch. No, man. Your whiskers must be just on fire. (laughs) Well, I've certainly been anticipating this one quite a bit ever since it was announced late last year. And yes, indeed, Mega Man is finally back. Obviously, it's not the exact same old Mega Man as before, It's been updated with polygonal HD graphics and a widescreen presentation, but for all intents and purposes, this is the classic Mega Man that gamers have come to know and love over the last 30 years. That means you run, you jump, you shoot, you slide, you fight bosses in any order, you get the boss's weapons, you use them on other bosses, rinse and repeat. Of course, Mega Man's arch nemesis, Dr. Wily, is back as well, and there are eight new robot masters to defeat. Block Man, Fuse Man, Impact Man, Acid Man, Bounce Man, Torch Man, Tundra Man, and Blast Man. No Hoffman? No, I think they're saving him for next time. <laughs> as always, each robot master has his own unique stage that's jam-packed with enemies and obstacles. There are things like moving platforms, conveyor belts, falling blocks, acid pits, electrical traps, giant walls of flame, grinding blades of death, winds and water currents that push you around, and of course, bottomless pits and instant kill spikes. A lot of these obstacles are very challenging, and figuring out how to use your skills and your weapons to get past them is part of the fun. Naturally, I picked this game up as soon as it was available, and I have been playing through it. Pete, did you pick it up as well? I did. I picked up the digital version. I know. I know. Sacrilege. But uh, (laughs) digital only for me. I don't know how you can cram that much stuff into your memory card. My memory card is already, you know, very, very full, and I've been buying as much physical stuff as I can, so I don't understand how you digital-only guys do it. (laughs) Regardless, what do you think so far of Mega Man 11? I like it. I mean, it's it's really true to form. It feels like the evolution of Mega Man, and in most ways, it totally delivers in what you kind of come to expect from a Mega Man game. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have to agree. It's not exactly the same as classic Mega Man. No. I mean, it's more like the new Super Mario Brothers interpretation of Mega Man, <laughs> right. where a lot of things are the same, but a lot of things are different. And, you know, you can certainly tell a difference if you're playing the games back to back. You know, for example, you will notice that when you get hit, the way that Mega Man gets knocked back is certainly different than it was in the classic games. Right. You'll notice that there are a different assortment of power-ups you can buy in the in-game store to give yourself an edge in combat. And, of course, as has been widely reported, if you try to jump through a boss door, you know, you will come down almost immediately instead of, you know, continuing to jump straight through the door and I feel like that's completely overblown and personally I don't care that that's been changed (laughs) but you know it is a change from the past games what is important is that it certainly still feels very very much like Mega Man and I would say that's absolutely a good thing yeah definitely and uh, to that store point you mentioned earlier you know that is a big part that comes into play I mean I think especially the difficulty in this game you know, I swear I'm I'm still pretty good at video games, <laughs> but uh, this game makes me think otherwise when I play it on normal. <laughs> yeah, it is not an easy game, 
And you know that's another thing I've heard from some people. They are saying that the difficulty levels aren't very balanced. And I would completely disagree. I would say the difficulty levels are very balanced. I'd say the difficulty progresses nicely as you play through any difficulty. I will say that the difficulties are poorly named, however. <laughs> I mean, the difficulty levels are called Newcomer, Casual, Normal, and Superhero. But if a casual player tries playing casual mode they will just die and die and die and probably toss their controllers across the room. <laughs> I mean, casual is probably a fairly close approximation to the difficulty in some of the classic games like Mega Man 2 or Mega Man 3, while normal is closer to maybe Mega Man 9 or something. Hmm. So the naming is definitely weird. What matters is that there are difficulties in there for everybody. It might seem kind of weird that the more reasonable difficulty is casual, and the one that's called normal actually probably should have been called hard. <laughs> but, uh, you know, some games are just like that. Mega Man is definitely one of them. I don't think that is uh, unbalanced. It's just that the game is freaking hard, and they gave their difficulty weird names. Yeah, I feel like less of a man playing through casual for some reason. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Really, I think people just need to get over that and just play the difficulty that is right for them. Yeah, I think I'm going to go back and try casual. I definitely started playing on normal and proceeded to get my hiney handed to me. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Although, you know, coming back to the store, so what happens is as you play, you collect these bolts and you end up being able to go and like buy things that you might need to try and get through a level, which I think if I, if I spent some time and did that, I could probably work my way through normal. Yeah, it definitely helps. And, you know, that's something that's not new to this game. They've been selling parts in the store since Mega Man 7. But there's new stuff added in this game, and, of course, it does feel just a little more crucial because some of the levels can be pretty brutal. Yeah, no kidding. Difficulty aside, you know, I feel like the game is a lot of fun. The level design is very good. If I do have a criticism about the level design, it's that I think maybe they rely on some of the level gimmicks too much. Mm. Like, I felt like I was constantly bouncing around in Bounce Man stage. <laughs> I felt like I was always underwater or trying to avoid acid pits in Acid Man stage. I was almost constantly dodging electric beams in Fuse Man stage. And all that stuff is fun, but I kind of think that maybe less is more. And the game might have been just a hair better if they toned it down mm. just a tad. But, you know, it's still good stuff. Yeah, I can see that. And in, I think in the originals, I don't remember like, you know, a lot of levels being like solely based around a, a gimmick or like a mechanic. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff was in there. Like, you know, it's all icy floors in Flashman's stage, for example. Sure. But uh, I don't know, this game, because of the challenge involved with those gimmicks as well, it just felt like, you know, maybe it's a little bit overkill. Right. I can see that. Of course, one of the new additions to the game to counteract that challenge is that dual gear system, the speed gear for slow motion, the power gear for enhanced firepower. You can only use these for a few seconds before they overheat, and then there's a cooldown time before you can use them again. Pete, have you used these abilities much? What do you think? I have. They are a little bit hard to get used to. I think when you're first starting, especially, it's like I constantly am doing the wrong one when I need it. <laughs> Yeah, I play enough that I've sort of figured it out. Plus, I've changed the buttons around, so I put the one I use more on uh, the left trigger. Ah. And uh, that is the, the speed gear. I've been using that to slow things down a lot more than I have been using the power gear. I found it was definitely helpful when dealing with some of these instant death traps like the <laughs> aforementioned giant wall of flame that shows up in Torchman stage. <laughs> And I do kind of feel like I'm cheating when I do. It's like, oh, I should be able to find a way to do this without using right. this uh, assist tool. But then again, it 
feels like, well, the game is kind of making me this. I'm going to get obliterated if I don't. Right. So it is nice to have in those times you really need it. Yeah, I think the mechanic's kind of cool because it, uh, you know, I've definitely had a few moments where I'm like rethinking how I might play through the level or like, oh, maybe I should try the gear on that guy. And, you know, I know that sounds really basic, but it's like in the heat of the moment, you kind of sometimes forget you have that ability. And yeah, totally. There are these moments where you kind of like think back to how could I do that differently? And the gears kind of come into play then. Yeah, that usually happens right after you explode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like the intro. It's kind of fun. Yeah, that was something that I was totally not expecting. Uh, going into the past and looking at uh, Dr. Light and Dr. Wiley is what they looked like in their university days. That was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, I, see, I'm not that familiar with Mega Man lore. Is that like kind of the first time they've done something like that? I think it's the first time in the games they've done something like that. I'm pretty sure they've covered it like in other media, maybe the comics, possibly the cartoons. But I do believe it's the first time it's in the games, yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, that was definitely good stuff. The graphics, I would say, look pretty great. It controls spot on. I guess if I have a criticism, though, it would be the music. Mm. So far, I'm just not finding it very memorable. Mm -hmm. A lot of the past Mega Man games, you'll have these great tunes that really stick with you. And this stuff just sort of seems like generic electronic music that doesn't really have much energy or impact of those past titles. Yeah, it doesn't really stand out in my mind, so I feel like that's kind of a miss, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I actually would just you know pause the game and just try to listen to the music for a while and say, well, this maybe click with me, and it just never happened. Now, there is an alternative soundtrack to the game that you get if you pre-order it. Mm. You can get this extra soundtrack as DLC, the so-called instrumental soundtrack. It is definitely better. I totally recommend switching to that if you can but it's still not on the level of past Mega Man games. Sweet. I actually did get that, so maybe I'll give that a whirl. Yeah, you definitely should. So of the stages you've played so far, do you have any particular favorites or least favorites? <laughs> so to be totally honest, I tried to just beat Fuse Man stage, and then I went back to uh, Block Man stage just to see if it changed at all. Now, did you get to Fuse Man himself? I did not. He w eluded me. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I thought his level was... You know, not that hard to get through. Uh, the boss himself, I thought, was really darn tough if you did not have any special weapons. Yeah, I can't remember where I got taken out in that level, but it uh, I got cheap death a few times, and <laughs> I noticed that there, that was kind of a theme so far, at least in the levels that I've played. There were just a couple times where I'm like, wow, I can't believe how cheap death I just got there. <laughs> Well, most of the time that I would suffer a cheap death, it would be some sort of one-hit kill. You know, the giant wall of flame or, you know, <laughs> crazy pit of spikes or something like that. Yeah. As I keep alluding to, Torchmans and Acidmans are my least favorite so far because Torchman has this stupid wall of fire that will, <laughs> you know, kill you instantly. And Acidman has a lot of underwater stuff with mines all over the place. Oh. And there's some really, really tricky spots in there. It's like, how are you supposed to get through this? Somehow I did. But uh, it was certainly a challenge. On the other hand, I am really liking Blockman stage. I actually really like Fuse Man stage. Uh, you know, the sort of that puzzle aspect and getting past some of those electric beams. Blast Man stage is really fun. And actually, Bounce Man stage is really fun, despite the <laughs> overdose of the bouncing play mechanic. Um, I like bouncing generally, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, then. It might not have the kind of bouncing you want, but uh, please look forward to it. I'm not even sure what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've actually played through all eight of the Robot Master stages. I'm about to embark on the Dr. Wily stages, but I haven't tried them just yet. We'll see how that goes. 
I do like how all the robot masters like come in to get cleaned by Dr. Light. <laughs> yeah, that was another interesting, unexpected part from the intro as well. That was kind of funny. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I guess. From the first 30 <laughs> yeah. seconds. <laughs> I like um, Blockman's voice, by the way. Really? Well, he's like, yo, Dr. Light, what's up? <laughs> I just didn't ever imagine that the robot masters talk like that. I'm not sure it did much for me, but it was definitely unexpected. <laughs> So on top of the main game, there are several bonus modes in Mega Man 11 as well. There's a time attack, a score attack, this balloon popping mode. There are a few super tough challenge stages and uh, plenty of other things that are in there to uh, prolong the game's life. You know, once you have mastered it and completed even the toughest difficulty, there's still lots of stuff to do. So you get uh, a lot of value for your buck as well. Ah, right, cool. I haven't even looked into that stuff yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, until you uh, have beaten the rest of the game, there's not really a good reason to do that, but just know that's all there. You're getting uh, plenty of content there for $30. Sweet. Anyway, overall, I would just say that I really enjoy the game. As a Mega Man fan, I am quite happy with it. I don't think that Mega Man 11 is perfect or a game changer or anything like that, but I would just call it an immensely fun 2D action game and a fine return to form for the series after a long hiatus. So I'm just very pleased to be playing Mega Man once again. Yeah, it's cool to see uh, you know Mega Man kind of come back into the limelight, and I'm kind of curious to see where they go from here. Is this a permanent reboot? If it does well, are they going to continue, or where do we go from here? Yeah, I mean, hopefully there's still going to be more Mega Man games down the road. I certainly don't mind if they take a few years off. That was sort of the problem with the old series is that they would just come out too frequently and people would get burnt out. they be like, oh, this is nothing special. And then you know, only after it's been gone for 10 years do they realize, oh, this is something really great and I miss it. <laughs> so you know, they just have to figure out the right pacing, but hopefully it is popular enough to keep coming back with plenty more sequels down the line. At least that's what I'm hoping for. It was like the original Call of Duty. Uh, yeah, it was doing the annual series thing just about before anybody else. <laughs> but nonetheless, here's to many more Mega Man games ahead. Here, here. Now, naturally, I did not just get the game. That's right. I also picked up the Amiibo. Amiibo! <laughs> uh, I figured you would. Yes, but of course. And the Amiibo is mostly cool. The pose is very dynamic. It features sort of these lankier proportions, so it's not quite as short and squat as the Smash Brothers version of the Mega Man Amiibo. Plus, it has you know all the appropriate details. You know, it's not an especially detailed character design, but it does have you know, even minor stuff like the rivets on the shoes, and it has a really great Mega Man 30th anniversary base. Uh, not like normal Mega Man base, right? <laughs> no, not that kind <laughs> of base. <laughs> uh, there is you know one issue I have with the Amiibo though. And that is the face. He has this slightly unhappy, partially open mouth. And it just seems to be a little bit bigger than it should be. And it's also not really an expression I associate with classic Mega Man at all. And if you look at the face, you know, really up close, I find that it really detracts from the figure. So despite my love of Mega Man, I am just a little bit lukewarm on this amiibo because of that minor detail. Well, you should hear what Mega Man says about your face. He wouldn't dare. <laughs> also, the amiibo edition didn't just include the game and the amiibo, but also came with a few other things. A Dr. Wily patch, an 8-inch by 8-inch cleaning cloth showing off the Mega Man 11 stage select screen, and then a small sheet of stickers that features Mega Man, Dr. Wily, Rush, and the Mega Man 11 logo. Ooh. And this stuff is 
okay, but it's nothing amazing. And considering the price for the Amiibo edition is $60, that means I'm paying 30 bucks for the Amiibo and the other stuff. And I have to admit, it really is not worth the money. For an Amiibo and a Mega Man diehard fan like me, you know, I had to get it regardless, but it really does seem overpriced. Yeah, that's just wacky. Yeah, I mean, it's basically 30 bucks for an Amiibo, which, you know, if you're sane, then you probably shouldn't do that. Fortunately, I'm not, so that's how it goes. Now, the Amiibo functionality, is it worth it? Oh, yeah, the Amiibo functionality. Yeah, what it does is, in the game, you can go to the menu, and you can scan the Amiibo, and it just sort of gives you a random item. Uh, When I used it yesterday, I scanned the new Mega Man 11 Amiibo, and it gave me a free E-Tank. Then I scanned my Mega Man Amiibo from Smash Brothers, and it gave me a free weapons tank. And, you know, if you've played the game, those only cost a couple of bolts to buy in the store. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just have to play it for a little bit, and you get that currency. And you can go buy those, you know, for 100 bolts, which you can earn in just a couple of minutes. So, you know, it's really nothing special, but on the other hand, it's not really bad either at least it gives you something useful so the functionality isn't great but hey it's better than nothing i guess yeah and if you're into the amiibo in general then i can see the draw but still 30 dollars for an amiibo hmm. <laughs> you'd have to be uh, almost insane to do that as i already covered yes <laughs> and then you know i did not stop there either in addition to the amiibo edition of the game i also picked up the prima hardcover strategy guide which is also a 30th anniversary retrospective of Mega Man as a whole. It is very packed with content. There's like 150 pages of strategy guide and then another 150 pages of retrospective. And it has loads of info and artwork and screenshots. And there's even an interview with the developers of Mega Man 11. That sounds right up your alley. Well, it definitely is, but I have noticed a few mistakes. Hmm. There's one instance of Dr. Wily's name being spelled wrong. There was a section showing the stages of Mega Man 5, but instead they showed images of Mega Man 4. Mm. And then there was even one watermarked image that you know was clearly just ripped straight off the internet. Uh-oh. I mean, maybe it's good. Maybe they were trying to give credit to the place they stole it from, but <laughs> you know, couldn't they have found their own Mega Man 4 box art in the Capcom archives? It's just kind of weird. Yeah, no kidding. So, yeah, there's just things like that. And, you know, probably it's 98% good. You know, I haven't read through the whole thing or anything, but it's certainly kind of a shame, especially for a $40 book that, you know, costs more than the game all by itself. You know, there's a lot of good stuff, but I do wish it could have been better. And, hey, Prima, if you're listening, I'm just telling you, those mistakes wouldn't have slipped in there if I'd been the author. I'm just saying. (laughs) I can actually attest to that. (laughs) All right, well, that has been a lot of talk about Mega Man. Why don't we move along to another new release? That being Dragalia Lost, which is now out on mobile devices. It's out on iPhone as well as Android. This is, of course, a fantasy action RPG developed by Psy Games. The production values are very high. It has good-looking graphics, good music, solid voice acting, and a surprisingly deep story. Pete, have you taken the time to play this one? You know, I haven't yet, and uh, it's partially because i, I got to blame it on... It's not very conducive to my commute. Ah. Nintendo likes to put in these hooks where it makes you uh, be connected online. Yeah, and pretty much every time you start a new mission in the game, you have to download uh, another you know chunk of data. Yeah, and I'm, I'm running around in tubes like Mario, and uh, <laughs> it's just not that great for me. But uh, I will get the time to play it soon. 
I see, I see. Well, let me tell you, the gameplay so far, despite the production values being great, the gameplay is rather basic. You drag to move, you tap to attack, you swipe across the screen to evade, you hit certain icons for special moves and dragon transformations, but there's not a whole lot more to it than that. You do also have CPU-controlled allies who fight automatically, and heck, you can even make your own character move and fight automatically if you want, which is probably ideal for a bit of grinding. Mm-hmm. I also give it props for being fast-paced, and the levels so far have been very bite-sized, so they're ideal for quick bursts of play, You know, except for that whole having to download the data every time. <laughs> but so far, as a whole, it just does feel awfully simple as far as the action is concerned. That's too bad. However, on the other hand, there are a lot of other things to do outside the action in terms of character and item management. You level up by fighting. You can also use items to give your characters experience to level up that way. You can promote characters once they've leveled up enough. You can equip weapons and accessories called worm prints, which you can also level up and combine to make stronger. You can level up and fuse the dragons you transform into. You can boost stats and earn new abilities by spending mana on these things called mana circles. And you can level up your weapons, too. Uh, and then at the end of the first chapter, you get your HQ called the Haladrum, and then you can build things in there like mine for currency and create these altars that boost other character stats. Plus, you can just make decorations and, uh, you know, plants that produce fruit to further enhance your dragons. And then you can just level up the entire HQ as well. And just your entire, you know, player file has its own separate level that levels up as you do all this stuff. So... There are just lots of things to manage. Plus, you can summon tons of new characters and dragons and worm prints by spending the in-game currency and the premium currency. And you know, I'm getting to a point in the game where you know I'm starting to come up against a difficulty wall, and it's like, well, what do I have to do here? Do I have to just spend a lot of time grinding? Do I need to summon new characters and items to make myself stronger i'm not really sure or do you need to spend a bunch of money maybe well right exactly maybe that's what it's telling me to do and i really don't know at this point of course as with most free-to-play games the missions you undertake are limited by a stamina gauge presumably you can buy items to refill the stamina gauge if you need to but so far my stamina has never run out in the couple of hours that i've been playing i've had tons of stamina it replenishes when your file levels up and I haven't you know, really seen the need to spend money on anything so far. But you know, then again, how do I proceed past these harder areas that I'm in? I don't really know. Well, I'm downloading it as we speak. <laughs> I'll give it a shot and maybe I can help you. Okay. It does have uh, online multiplayer, so uh, that would be fun to try out. And um, yeah, I'm just... You know, not really sure how much I want to keep going because the action itself, the movement, the attacking is kind of on the simple side. Will it be enough to make me want to keep pushing on through even though the difficulty is ramping up? Or will I just decide, ah, I've had enough, I'm just going to go back to my Mega Man or something like that? <laughs> I guess we'll see. Tune in next week when we find out if Chris has what it takes to continue in Dragalia Lost. <laughs> uh, perhaps so. <laughs> All right, well, moving on then to one other game that I've spent a little bit of time with. I've also checked out Alwa's Awakening on Switch. Alwa is the name of the country you are exploring in this Metroid-style action-adventure platformer. Ah. Now, in this game, you play as a wizard named Zoe, but all you can do at first when you get your magic wand is use it to just beat monsters to death with it. (laughs) 
Awesome. Yes, club them to death. However, it isn't very long before you get new abilities, such as first you're able to create a block that can be used as a step or to guard against enemy attacks. After that, you can create floating bubbles that you can stand on to reach high places. Now, you do only have three hit points, so the game does start to get challenging. I stopped playing it after I died at the second boss several times. <laughs> but I have been having fun so far. Uh, that's despite the fact that the character movement is kind of sluggish and floaty. But, you know, then on the other hand, you know, some classic NES games were as well, you know, like Castlevania. Sure. The writing, you know, that's not amazing either. <laughs> However... I am totally in love with the graphical style. It has a fantastic 8-bit aesthetic, and it does feel you know, really, really true to the NES. You know, Just about more than any other game that's out there, this really manages to nail that NES-style visuals perfectly. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of it, and I like almost would think it came out on the NES. Yeah, I mean, it's super authentic, and you know, despite you know, the floatiness, despite the questionable writing, it just almost worth picking up just for that visual style alone if you're into that sort of thing i do like there's there's a guy that says i'm just hanging out and people keep entering my house kind of thing but <laughs> yeah like i said i haven't really played that much of it i don't know where it's going to go from there but uh, those are my initial impressions and it does seem you know very cool in some regards yeah this game hadn't been on my radar at all but now after looking at these screenshots uh it actually looks pretty interesting yeah, I didn't know anything about it myself until it just magically appeared in the eShop last week. So, <laughs> yeah, it uh, could be a sleeper hit. The wonders of the eShop. Yep. Well, Chris, you're not the only one picking up games on the eShop. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I picked up Gone Home. Oh, all right. Yeah, that was sort of an out-of-nowhere sensation when it hit a couple of years ago on other platforms. And I have not played it on Switch yet, but I did play it when it came out on other machines. Uh, what do you think? I'm really enjoying it. This one I've definitely been following for a while now. I've considered buying it on multiple different machines, I think on my computer at one point, mm -hmm. Xbox and all that. And uh, now that it's on Switch, I thought, you know what? It's time to play it. Okay, that sounds reasonable to me. And is it living up to your expectations? What are you discovering? Well, it's an interesting game. It's, uh, there's not much gameplay in it. Well, if anyone out there hasn't played the game yet... Essentially, you start off, you're the only character in the game that you know of. You arrive home to visit your family. You've been in Europe for a year, and uh, they've moved, and you... Well, you don't really know what's happened. All you know is that they're gone, you're not sure what's up, and you're just kind of exploring this creepy house, trying to discover what happened and sort of solve the mystery. Right. But yeah, so what you're left with is basically a game that is, it almost feels like a room escape game. You're kind of, you know, as you mentioned, kind of going around, piecing together these clues, trying to figure out what happened. You know, it really is this kind of go at your own pace. You're looking in each room, opening drawers, looking at paper, trying to kind of paint this whole picture. And it's it's interesting because it takes place in like the mid-90s. So there's a lot of, you know, mid-90s culture references and things like that. <laughs> That's true. You know, this isn't an action-packed game. I've, like I said, have not encountered another person in the game. You don't really have, you know, any action sequences that I've seen so far. And you're really just sort of exploring. But in a lot of ways, it's refreshing. You know, I, I've put on my headphones, playing through it, really just enjoying the story, kind of getting into it. It's creepy. There's kind of this, like, mood in it where it's unsettling, I think, is kind of the best way to say it. 
but yeah, you, you look down a hallway and you just kind of think, well, did I just see something? But you, I, <laughs> you didn't. But in the background, there's raining and lightning and thunder. And uh, it just kind of has this nice atmosphere that almost reminds me of reading like a short story or something. Yeah, atmosphere is definitely the word I would use. I would certainly say it is atmospheric. And it just sort of set up this whole world of mystery and intrigue and what are you going to find? And you know, like I said, I have played through this on other platforms. Ultimately, I found out it didn't really deliver on those promises. Mm. I just felt that it ended up being a lot heavier on narrative and not as heavy on gameplay as I would like. I mean, it does some pretty impressive things and sort of breaks new ground when it comes to narrative. But for me, ultimately, it comes down to the gameplay. And so because of that, I was kind of left wanting more. Again, I have not actually played it on Switch, so I can't speak to that version. But assuming that it is all the same content, yeah, those are my general thoughts on the game overall. I hope you didn't just ruin it for me. Well, I'm not going to say anything more than that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm excited to see what happens. And uh, I was actually trying to beat it right before this episode, but uh, couldn't get it done. So we'll have to talk on the next one. Well, I mean, if you haven't discovered the big plot twist yet, you know, maybe you will soon discover why people, uh, you know, did think this game was so remarkable. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, then. So playing through Gone Home, you must have seen the part where you kind of find like Super Nintendo games lying around the room. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, in the Switch version, they're actually legit games. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, you can actually find uh, Link to the Past, uh, Super Mario Kart, and Donkey Kong Country. All right. Pretty cool. Yeah, kind of a fun little Easter egg. Yeah, now I kind of wish I'd held up for that version. <laughs> Sweet. That takes care of our game impressions for the week. Let us move along to some news. So first up in the news, Nintendo has announced that Yokai Watch 3 is coming to North America. It'll be hitting February 8th of next year on the Nintendo 3DS. That's good news. Yeah, it is. This game was released back in 2016 in Japan, and I was never really sure if it was going to come out over here because it has been a while. But I thought that would have been you know, quite a shame because sort of the hook of this Yokai Watch game is that the main character moves to America and encounters these American-themed yokai. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and, you know, I've looked into it a little bit. It's not quite as amazing as it could have been. Like, I was expecting to see, like, you know, the Abraham Lincoln yokai or something like that. And I don't think there's anything like that in there. But there is, like, you know, a car yokai, a baseball yokai that loves hot dogs. Also, a hamburger yokai that loves to eat hamburgers, which I guess would make him a cannibal. And I'm not going to try to think about that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, best not. But yeah, they are introducing plenty of new yokai, obviously. And, you know, if you don't like the idea of shifting the setting to America, well, good news, the later portion of the game does take place in Japan. The gameplay, naturally, is similar to previous titles in that the yokai sort of fight automatically, but you help by playing mini-games and choosing the special moves they use. And, of course, there are also new features like these tactics medals that you can move around to help avoid enemy attacks and stuff like that. So, yeah, like we were saying, it seemed possible this game was not going to come out in North America, but it is. So I would certainly consider that a win for 3DS owners and yokai watch fans. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Or hamburger dinner, either way. <laughs> I thought you were going to start talking about that. <laughs> Another game that is on its way to Nintendo hardware is the remake of Shadowgate. It is coming to the Nintendo Switch this fall. Ooh, that's kind of exciting. 
Yeah, I was always a big fan of Shadowgate back in the day. I loved it when it was originally on computers. I enjoyed it when it was on the NES. And then I actually did play this remake that first came out back in 2015 on Steam. Oh, wow. You are a Shadowgate fanboy. <laughs> yeah, you could kind of say that. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and uh, are you familiar with this iteration of Shadowgate? No, I'm not. Tell me about it. Well, it is basically a remake of the original game. It shares a lot of the same themes, a lot of the same environments even. It is a fantasy adventure title with lots of object-oriented puzzles. And even though you are going through a lot of the locations that were in the original game, you know, lots of things have changed. There are new items to pick up, there are new elements, there are new puzzles, and of course there are modern, high-definition visuals. It's also much darker, it's much grittier, and it's probably more challenging too, just because there are so many options at your disposal. Oh yeah, I'm sure. The first one was kind of limited that way. Yeah, there wasn't that much you could do. I mean, in that kind of game, I think it's certainly okay. In this game, I never actually finished it when I was playing it on Steam because I did end up getting so overwhelmed at points. But nonetheless, like you said, I am a big Shadowgate fan, and so this is very welcome to be coming out on Switch. Hopefully I'll be able to play through it and finish it this time. Yeah, it makes me wonder if the original NES version will be somehow hidden in it. Well, it was not hidden in there in the computer version, so I kind of have a doubt it will be in there for this one. But they did put in a lot of nods to the uh, classic version. Like, there were 8-bit pixelized screen transitions, I think also an 8-bit soundtrack. So even if the 8-bit Shadowgate is not hidden in there as a bonus, there will still be treats in there for old-school Shadowgate fans, for sure. Nice. All right, that takes care of our news for this week. Why don't we answer a few listener letters? This first message comes from at Eothry via Twitter, and he's responding to our GameCube era topic from last episode, and he writes, I would like to see these on Switch. Prince of Persia Trilogy, Beyond Good and Evil, Ninja Gaiden 2003 version, Soul Calibur 2, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, and Jade Empire. Those are some good choices, Chris. Yes, yes they are. When I saw that, I thought, wow, those are all pretty excellent choices. Soul Calibur 2, probably in particular. I would love to see that when it come back. Jade Empire, I'm not sure if that is owned by Microsoft or not. That one might or might not be possible. But uh, regardless, you know, all the rest are excellent games that uh, would be great to see remade and have a return on current hardware, for sure. Yeah, I think uh, KOTOR would probably be the one that I'd be most excited about. Yeah, I've never played that one. You know, it never has been on Nintendo before. I would love an excuse to finally give it a try. This next one comes from at Dr. Furball via Twitter. And he writes, Love the episode. You guys had some terrific picks, especially Beautiful Joe, an old favorite of mine. On that note, I'd suggest God Hand, which was an unappreciated masterpiece and would go well with Okami and the hypothetical Beautiful Joe re-releases. Uh, I'm unfamiliar with God Hand, but I do remember it coming out. Have you played that? I have played it, but not a lot of it. I found it was kind of an acquired taste. When you start playing it, it kind of feels janky. It's like, what is this <laughs> game I am playing? But the more you play it, the more you begin to appreciate it. And I'm not sure I ever quite reached that point. But it is a Capcom game, and it is technically a beat-em-up, so I wouldn't mind giving it another try. <laughs> I would actually like to play that one. <laughs> 
This next one comes from listener Sam, and he writes, I enjoyed the best of the GameCube era episode. I was surprised that there was no mention of the Sega Dreamcast. I have always been a Nintendo fan, but I feel the need to advocate for Sega here. <laughs> Are there any Sega Dreamcast games you would like to see ported enhanced on Switch? Hmm, that's a good question. What do you think? Well, I mean, we did talk about one in that we both mentioned that one of our top choices would be Skies of Arcadia, right. which did originally start on Dreamcast before being ported to GameCube. So there's definitely that one. Yep. But then in addition to that, one I would love to see come back is Crazy Taxi. <laughs> I thought that was an amazing game on Dreamcast. And, you know, there were a couple of sequels, but it just totally disappeared and more or less faded from existence. And it was a really fun concept, I think, deserves to make a comeback. Yeah, definitely. Off the top of my head, I definitely have a couple that I'd like to see. Oh, yeah? I'd like to see Jet Grind Radio. Oh, yep, that's definitely a good pick. Shenmue 1 and 2. Okay. If I may be so bold. Sure, why not? And then lastly, Fantasy Star Online. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. I was thinking of that, and I totally forgot to write it down. But, yeah, that would be a great pick. That one was super popular back in the day. And also the only reason to own a GameCube modem. (laughs) (laughs) That is correct. Yeah, uh, I guess if we're talking third party as well, I would also reach out and say I'd love to see Marvel vs. Capcom 1 and 2 make the jump from Dreamcast over to current hardware. That would be my hope. So, mm. Yeah, those would all be great games to see coming over to the Switch one of these days. And I'll give an honorable mention to Power Stone. Ah, all right. <laughs> This next letter comes from listener Brian Booth. I had to edit this one for time a little bit, but he writes, So psyched to hear that you guys like Undertale. I know most of the story and characters, and you guys are in for a real treat. I'm particularly interested to hear what you think of the music and of Sands. It's amazing how much of an impact a one-man indie project has made on the culture in such a relatively short time. And I'll concur with the Hoff about NES beat-em-ups. He's the expert after all. Speaking of which, when I heard about the Capcom beat-em-up bundle, I don't know if I was more excited about the bundle itself or hearing Hoff's response. Glad you're excited, Chris. (laughs) Wow. Question. If the Big N were to launch an online service featuring N64 games, which games do you think should make the cut? Obviously some of the greatest, like GoldenEye and the Banjo games, would be next to impossible due to licensing issues, but what 5 or 10 games would you most want to see revived from the N64 era? And regarding Smash Brothers, who would you most be interested in seeing, realistically? I feel like we'll get another Pokemon representative, probably either Decidueye or Incineroar. We already got another DK rep in K. Rule, but it would be cool to see Dixie or Funky join the roster. Bandana D and Captain Toad would also be cool to see. Dark Horse candidates like Shantae, Gino, or Golden Sun's Isaac would be beyond awesome, but I don't have high hopes they'll be elected to join this time around. Wow, that's a doozy. Yeah, there were a lot of questions in there. To start with the first one about Undertale, you know, so far I probably like Papyrus more than I like Sans. <laughs> Sans just kind of seems like a flake, and it's hard to tell if he's sincere or not. But, uh, you know, Papyrus seemed like he worked really hard at being my character's friend. So uh, that's where I stand on that one. Have you gotten to Sans Papyrus yet, Pete? Oh, yeah. Is he a friend or is he a nemesis, though? <laughs> well, he seems pretty friendly, but I guess it remains to be seen, huh? <laughs> Totally. He hates humans, after all. Yes, it's definitely fun discovering where the character's true motivations lie. Mm-hmm. Moving on to his next question about N64 games. Let's see. If I had to pick five, and I'm just talking about if these were to be brought back, you know, specifically to take advantage of multiplayer online capabilities, and, you know, hopefully they wouldn't be sluggish as heck like these NES games have been. <laughs> we could almost do a whole episode just on this. 
<laughs> we probably could. Uh, but just, you know, quickly off the top of my head, I'm going to go with F-Zero-X, mm-hmm. Wave Race 64, Mario Party 2, Mario Kart 64, and Dr. Mario 64. Uh, if it weren't for the licensing, I would say GoldenEye and WWF No Mercy. Uh, what about you, Pete? <laughs> well, off the top of my head, I would go with 1080 Snowboarding. Oh, okay. Work the body. <laughs> Maybe some Mario Golf. Hmm. You have to have Mario Kart 64. Yep. I agree with your F-Zero X choice. Yeah, how can you not? Um, I also agree with your Wave Race 64 choice. <laughs> okay. I also love to see the original Super Smash Brothers playable. Oh, okay. Just for posterity. All right. Fair enough. I'm sure a lot of people would enjoy that. So speaking of Smash Brothers, what about his last question? If you could pick just a couple more characters that you think might realistically be added to the Ultimate roster, who would it be? Well, I, for one, would love Captain Toad. Yeah, me too. I think, you know, he's such a Nintendo mainstay. I think there's a good possibility of him, and I think he's more deserving than most, so that would certainly be a pick of mine as well. And maybe regular Toad as a Shadow or, or Echo character? Uh, I think he should just be a costume switch, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, but in addition to him, another one that I would say I'd like to see and, you know, could realistically happen would be Rex or Pyra from Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Oh, right. And then, have you you know heard the rumors about you know Ken possibly joining the roster as a uh, Echo Fighter of Ryu? No, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. I think there actually you know could be some credibility to that rumor. I don't know, but uh, you know it might be real. It might be possible. It's certainly not out of their own credibility. So I'd say that could possibly happen. Yep, I agree. Those are pretty solid guesses. All right, our next listener letter comes from Andrew, and he writes, I was mailing in to ask if you ever got around to playing any more of Radiant Historia Perfect Chronology for the 3DS. I recently finished playing it and had a great time. There was a lot of content, and I loved the grid battle system because they kept adding new wrinkles to it. I also liked how most of your party members fit into the story in a pretty major way. If I had to point out a negative about it, it would be that some of the end bosses got a little grindy, but nothing that the player can't handle. I'd recommend it as a very solid, portable JRPG for anyone that's looking for one. Anyways, do you have any updated game impressions on it? What did you think of the added content and Nemesia's missions? Pete, I assume you have not gotten around to playing this one, so this is probably aimed at me. (laughs) This one's all you, Chris. And all I can really say is I agree it's great. I think it was way overlooked on the DS. I'm glad it is back on the 3DS. Unfortunately, I really haven't played it anymore since when I first talked about it. I just got distracted by other games, but I promise that I will soon. I've got some travel coming up, and I definitely plan to spend some time with Radiant Historia while I'm doing that. Uh, So, Andrew, I'm glad you're enjoying the game. Hopefully, I will have more impressions to share in the future. Finally, our last bit of listener mail comes from Blake, who has one more new rule for the milk drinking game. (laughs) That is any mention of Pete deleting Chris's Final Fantasy VI save file. <laughs> I guess we do talk about that a lot. That is true. Very true. Or is it you that talks about that? I don't know. I feel like you're just as guilty as I am. Yeah, I like rubbing it in. <laughs> of course you do. Okay, that takes care of the letters for this week. It is probably time to move on to the intermission, unless, Pete, you once again have something special lined up for me. I do, Chris. In fact, it's time for another round of... Hassle the Huff. Okay, I had a feeling that was coming. 
In that case, let's get into it. <laughs> All right. Video game professor Hoffman. If you could create any robot master that hasn't been done yet, what would it be? Huh. So I assume this does not include having Hoffman in there as a boss? <laughs> uh, I actually think that's totally allowable. Because I did promise, you know, quite a while ago that in the future I would be transformed into Hoffman, a Mega Man boss, uh, somewhere in the Mega Man series. I think I said my weakness would be pie, probably. So there have to be a pie man in there as well. <laughs> so then you could throw pies at me and I would be distracted eating the pies so you could easily defeat me. Well, they do say that simple Simon met a pie man. I'm not sure what that has to do with anything. <laughs> Hoffman, of course, would also be impervious to the cold. Hmm. And dad jokes, apparently. Yes, they, they bounce off me like water on a dog's snout. <laughs> but yes, I think you know Hoffman would be a fine inclusion. But yeah, Pie Man or some other food-themed boss would be a really great addition. You know, I could see like Hamburger Man or something, or maybe just Chef Man. Maybe he would throw all kinds of different foodstuffs at you. I feel like that is one thing that really has not been explored very much in the Mega Man game series. You know, plus, he could you know sort of double as one of those uh, you know flame-themed robot masters that seems to be in every game because, you know, maybe as you're going through his level, you know, maybe it's like a, a big oven or a stovetop, <laughs> so, you know, these flames keep popping up. You have to dodge these boiling uh, pots filled with oil, or maybe there's boiling pots of stew, I don't know. But I think it lent itself to a lot of very interesting obstacles and hazards if you were going up against Chef Man or something along those lines. You know, if you're going through Hoffman's level, I'm not sure what kind of uh, <laughs> obstacles you'd have to get through. Probably get buried alive in Amiibo or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, so there you go. Uh, two for the price of one answer. I'd like to see both Hoffman and Pie Man as new Robot Masters. Uh, speaking of, are there any... That's a great answer, by the way. Are you telling me that there are no food-related Mega Man bosses? No, I don't think so. At least not in classic Mega Man. Maybe in Battle Network or something I'm not thinking of. Yeah, like a Sushi Man would be pretty rad. <laughs> yeah, I'll take Pie Man first. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it definitely is unexplored territory. Nicely done. Okay then. All right, let us take an intermission, and then we come back, we'll discuss this week's big topic, which is our favorite video game robots. <laughs> We are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is our favorite video game robots. More specifically, this is our favorite non-Mega Man video game robots. 
Obviously, Mega Man is on the brain this week. He is a great character, and that franchise is home to many great robotic characters. Aside from Mega Man himself, there's Proto Man, there's X, there's Zero, there's Base, there's Giant Robot Dragons, there's all the Robot Masters. But what about all the other cool robotic characters on Nintendo platforms? That is what we want to talk about for our big topic this week. And just to be clear, we are only talking about autonomous robots here. We're not counting mech suits, <laughs> nor cyborgs, uh, just robots. Anyhow, with no further ado, let us jump in to our top 10 favorite non-Mega Man robots. Now, when we were coming up with this list, there were actually quite a few in the Nintendo universe, as well as games on Nintendo systems. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Anytime you've got franchises that have been around as long as some of these classic Nintendo series have, you know, lots of games end up getting robotic characters, even in places you wouldn't expect. There are some series where it seems obvious, but, you know, there are robots in Mario games, there are robots in Zelda games, so there was plenty of things for us to consider. Indeed. Uh, nonetheless, we have narrowed it down to our top ten, and coming in at number ten is, from Super Mario Odyssey, Uncle Amiibo. Yes, now he may look like a Roomba. <laughs> yeah, there's not much to him visually. He's basically just a robotic little box. And he does a little more than provide hints. But, uh, you know, he's still pretty cool. And his name is Uncle Amiibo. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, this guy just won by default because his name is Uncle Amiibo. Yeah, I mean, he's a little helpful. He can provide the location of power moons. He can also unlock costumes. But yes, probably the best thing about him is indeed his name. So how could I not like Uncle Amiibo? <laughs> I know, it's really impossible. But really, what I like even more than Uncle Amiibo is his Spanish language name. Do you know what his name is if you, you know, are playing in Spanish? I have no idea. He is Señor Amiibo. Oh! Which is way better than Uncle Amiibo. I am. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Does he have a mustache? I don't think he changes at all, but that would be pretty great. You know, you think that maybe Mario could throw Cappy at him and then make him grow a mustache, and then he'd be a much better senior amiibo, but uh, maybe maybe in the sequel. Who knows? I order you to buy a Roomba and name it Uncle Amiibo. I'll get right on that after the show is done. <laughs> all right, moving on to number nine. We have the Diggernaut from Metroid Samus Returns. Oh, man, this one still kind of stays with me after uh, finishing that game last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that is certainly one of the most memorable parts of the game, one of the coolest encounters in the game. And, you know, as Samus is going through her adventure, she meets this digging robot a few times. And at first, it just kind of appears in the background and startles you and looks kind of spooky. But then after doing that a few times, it shows up and actually chases you through that crazy pursuit sequence where, you know, a single hit means you're dead. Right. And then after that, a few times, you end up having to actually fight him. Yes, in a more traditional battle. And at first, I thought that battle was super frustrating because it was really challenging. But eventually, you know, I started to figure out the patterns and it became really, really fun and is probably my favorite boss fight in the entire game. Yeah, it definitely is one of the, the bright spots of that game, especially considering you have to do a lot of the uh, navigation in ball form. <laughs> yeah, when you're being chased, yes. In morph ball form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was uh, certainly a tough challenge, both the pursuit and the boss fight. Um, and he's just got a you know, very imposing design. So I think for all those reasons, he is deserving as having a spot on this list. 
I'm actually glad he's not in Mega Man. <laughs> yeah, that would definitely be tough. Well, this next robot, I believe, probably has the best singing voice. <laughs> and that's Mike the Karaoke Machine from WarioWare. Ah, yes. A fine choice. Like most WarioWare characters, Mike is interesting, entertaining, and bizarre. <laughs> and he is, indeed, a karaoke robot that was created by Dr. Krygor, and that is why he has not one, but two microphones coming out of his head. <laughs> uh, it's true. You know, in addition to being a karaoke robot, he also does tasks like household cleaning, and apparently he's also a DJ. I mean, yeah. Why wouldn't he be? Uh, most recently, he did show up in WarioWare Gold to host micro games that involved blowing into the mic. Obviously, the pun is intended. <laughs> and that's why we love him. Indeed. And coming in at number seven is Rusty from SteamWorld Dig. Yes. To be honest, I have not played the SteamWorld games as much as I would like to, but I really, really like Rusty just as a character. He just looks super cool, and he has this fantastic design of you know robot mixed with steampunk with this Old West flair. Yeah, he definitely is a memorable character. It's uh, not too often you see like real robots in cowboy settings. <laughs> yeah. He's one of the best robot character designs that I can think of. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I heard he has a very interesting role in SteamWorld Dig 2 as well. He does, but I don't want to go into spoiler territory. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, it's just something that fans can absolutely look forward to if they haven't played that one yet. I also kind of like his name. It's a play on words. <laughs> That's true, too. <laughs> All right. Coming in at number six, we have Chibi Robo. Obviously from Chibi Robo. <laughs> Now, this probably has to be the smallest robot on our list. Yeah, I think that is fair to say. He is very small. He's cute. He's friendly. He's also very helpful. He is good at cleaning and gardening and also platforming. He also has a plug coming out of his butt. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. I had a feeling you were going to bring that up. <laughs> well, it's kind of stating the obvious. I mean, it's almost right there in his first game's title, Chibi Robo Plug Into Adventure as I recall. That's right. Now, I'm assuming you have the amiibo for this fella. Oh, of course. That was the main reason to get that. That game, you know, was not that great. And that's the thing is, his games have varied wildly in quality. But uh, despite that, he is still a very, very charming character. I still think he's sort of waiting for that truly great breakout game that, you know, can prove to the world what a good character he is. But, uh, you know, the original Chibi-Robo was a lot of fun, and, you know, maybe the follow-ups, you know, haven't quite been as amazing as I would have liked. But uh, still, it is a character worth getting to know, and really, it is one of my favorite Amiibo, too. Yeah, I agree. I wish that he was in a better game, and uh, maybe someday he will be. Hopefully. We will cross our fingers for that. He's very endearing. <laughs> for sure. Number five on the list, we've got Metal Sonic. From the Sonic the Hedgehog series. Obviously, Sonic's main enemy is Dr. Robotnik, but probably only second to that is Metal Sonic. He first appeared in Sonic CD more than 20 years ago, and he has stuck around ever since then, continuing to harass Sonic at every turn, most recently appearing in Sonic Mania. He's pretty much an equal match for Sonic in terms of speed, 
And he has a really, you know, cool sort of retro, slightly unsettling design with all his, uh, you know, sharp pointy edges and things like that. It's also cool that the stages where you face him tend to be very, you know, race oriented and also very challenging. So that's another fun aspect to this character. He certainly is metal, Chris. <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. <laughs> all right. And number four is Mecha Ridley. Yes, also known as the Ridley Robot from Metroid Zero Mission. That's right. It's pretty funny that this thing actually exists. <laughs> it raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? Maybe, possibly. I mean, we don't really know where this thing came from. Did Ridley build it himself? Does Ridley have a lot of fans that decided to build it in his honor? We don't really know. Anyway, you look at this is the big bad final boss from Zero Mission, a little bit of a spoiler here, but, you know, after Samus goes and destroys most of the planet, you know, she then ends up going through the space pirate battleship. And this is after Ridley has fallen and Kraid has fallen and the mother brain has fallen. And as she explores this ship, finally, at the very end, she runs into this big, intimidating robotic version of Ridley. It is not an enhanced version of the real Ridley. It is just totally a robot version of Ridley. <laughs> It'd be like if someone made a robotic version of Pete and he was just walking around as a final boss somewhere. <laughs> uh, you never know. <laughs> Probably Japan. Perhaps. I blame the space pirates for creating this one. Well, I mean, they definitely did, but uh, you know, it's still kind of a weird thing for them to do. Yeah, it really is. It, it, and like I said, it raises a lot of questions. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's been a long time since I fought the Ridley robot. I don't remember too much about it, but I know that he does look really, really cool. Uh, he certainly doesn't look like a machine you want to mess with. And, you know, based on that alone, I think he is worthy of having a high place on this list of favorite robots. Agreed. And then coming in at number three, we got Robo from Chrono Trigger. Yeah, he has certainly been a longtime favorite of mine. He is the defective robot from the future. He was programmed to destroy humanity, but instead he decides to help them and ends up becoming a very important party member in Chrono Trigger. To me, he kind of reminds me of TikTok from Return to Oz. Uh, if you haven't seen it, Google it. Yeah, I have not ever seen it. Is he like that movie's version of the Tin Woodsman or something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Huh. Okay, yeah, I've never seen it, but uh, I mean, I certainly like Robo for... What he is, he ends up, you know, being a very caring character, has a friendly personality. He certainly fights for his friends. And even at one point, he labors for literally hundreds of years to revive a forest until he can't function anymore and just sort of, you know, falls into disrepair during one of the side quests. Yeah, what's more noble than that? Yeah, I mean, luckily, you know, spoiler alert, he does end up getting revived because you just, you know, teleport to the future and fix him up after he's run down. But <laughs> still, you know, it's a, it's a very noble character. And also, he's arguably the most balanced character in the game. He has good physical attacks. He has a healing ability. And he has a really strong elemental attack as well. So, yeah, he's just one of the best characters in that game, I would say. Possibly even one of the uh, best characters in any RPG, I'd go so far to say. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Chris. All right. Well then, moving on to number two, we have Quote from Cave Story. Ah, uh, yeah, Quote's pretty awesome. Yeah, he is another staunch defender of freedom. And the interesting thing about Quote is that, you know, at the beginning of the game, he seemingly doesn't really 
remember who he is or where he came from or what he's doing. And at first, you don't even know that it's a robot. At first, he's just known as Mr. Traveler. Yeah, and uh, by, judging by his clothes, it's really hard to tell that he's a robot. Yeah, that's right. He is a robot that wears clothes because he is a robot soldier from the surface. But, you know, regardless of his origins, he ends up becoming a proud defender of the Mimiga people. And he does everything he can to prevent their domination by the evil doctor. It's almost a metaphor for life, isn't it, Chris? Um, If you say so. (laughs) Uh, Of course, quote, recently made his debut as a fighting game character in Blade Strangers alongside his cave story comrade Curly Brace, uh, who is also a great robot character in her own right and uh, certainly could be considered for any uh, best robot characters list as well, I'd say. Yeah, he's got a little bit of Mega Man in him, don't you think? Uh, Maybe just a little. I mean, certainly they both want to fight for peace and justice and want to do what's right. And they both had up to here with evil doctors. So I would say, yeah, there's some similarity. All right. Well, are we ready for number one? Yes. Let us move along to number one. Who is the greatest non-Mega Man robot? Obviously, it is Mighty Number 9. (laughs) That's a pretty good joke. No, I am just kidding, of course. It is not Mighty Number 9. It is not Beck. No, actually, the number one best robot is Rob. Ah, shocker. Yes, Rob, the uh, robotic operating buddy. Yep, the reason that a lot of us had Nintendo Entertainment Systems in our living room. Yes, for sure, that is how he got his start. He was an accessory for the NES, and he was used to play some crappy games like Gyromite and Stack Up. And then after that, he was pretty much relegated to the closet for the rest of time, (laughs) uh, except for the fact that he wasn't. But yeah, you know, back then he was iconic. He was synonymous with the NES. And if I think about the marketing for the NES back in the day, that's the first thing that comes to mind is just seeing Rob and, you know, those uh, short circuit looking eyeballs. Yeah. And now he lives on in all manner of Nintendo games. Yes, he has uh, returned Many years later, and, you know, he's in stuff like Mario Kart and Smash Brothers and WarioWare. And, you know, while those are great games, he's not the star of those games. And, you know, really the reason that he's in there is just because he was so significant and important in those early days of the NES. Yeah, and it really just feels like he's sort of a tribute now at this point to uh, Nintendo nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. I think that's you know partially fair to say. But also, I feel like his design has somehow transcended time and become sort of you know retro cool and just seeing that character is you know so 100 percent synonymous with the nes and nintendo's rise to glory decades ago that it easily lets him take the number one spot as one of the best video game robots yeah i think one of my favorite things is him being in the background of f-zero gx stage i believe it's the first port town stage Yeah, I kind of forgot about that, actually. He shows up sort of as like a a giant character in the background, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he's uh, loading cargo, if I remember right. (laughs) Nice, nice. Very nice. Well, no matter what he's doing, he is certainly a Nintendo icon and well-deserving of leading this group of robotic heroes and villains. Absolutely. All right. That takes care of this week's big topic. And with that done... I believe it's almost time to wrap up this episode of the show, but we do indeed have time for one more thing. Oh, and this is a good one. Yes, it is, of course, a dramatic reading, 
and this time it is the back of the box from Pete's all-time favorite <laughs> SNES game, Mega Man's Soccer. Dr. Wily will stop at nothing to control the world, and who would have thought his next move would be to attack the world's most popular sport? Dr. Light is ready, and he's preparing Mega Man for a new type of battle. As the two best soccer teams in the nation took the field for the championship, suddenly the stadium was pelted with blasts of fire and the field was engulfed in smoke. The smoke cleared and some very familiar robots replaced the players on the field. <laughs> Dr. Wily had sent his greatest robot creations like Skull Man, Cut Man, Wood Man, Needle Man, and Pharaoh Man to rule the soccer world. But Dr. Light was prepared for this new tactic. Almost instantly, a reserve of Mega Man robots appeared to take on the evil forces in the strangest game of soccer ever seen. <laughs> no matter where evil appears, Mega Man will be there to kick one past Dr. Wily and his robot masters. Choose from nine different teams or create your own team from 20 different robot characters. Each robot team has a specialized stadium and each robot character has special attacks straight from the Mega Man series. For one or two players. Now I know you don't believe me, but I actually really enjoyed Mega Man Soccer. I can't say I ever got into it very much. But then again, I'm not the biggest soccer fan in the world. Naturally, I still had to play it because it's Mega Man. But uh... <laughs> The back of this box, to me, proves that you can write a plot for any video game. <laughs> yes, I suppose so. <laughs> One thing this box also proves is that Capcom does not know what the name of the game is. <laughs> because in all the marketing materials and on the package... It calls the game Mega Man Soccer. But then if you actually play the game, the title screen says Mega Man's Soccer hmm. with, you know, an apostrophe S. And, you know, I kind of figure, you know, that is what is coded into the game. That sort of tops everything else. But it's weird that it's not consistent throughout uh, the game and everything else involved with it. It's pretty weird. Yeah, and is there a space between Mega and Man? Because it certainly doesn't look like on the title screen. Uh Capcom's been very inconsistent with that over the years, but yes, officially there is indeed a space. <laughs> I also have to say, Mega Man's likeness on the cover of this box is maybe some of the worst. <laughs> After the original couple Mega Man boxes, this has got to be right up there. I don't know. I mean, a lot of the depictions of Mega Man have kind of looked like this one. I mean, Mega Man 3, Mega Man 4, Mega Man 7. It's actually very similar to the art for Mega Man 7, where he's uh, you know super ripped like this. I don't know. I don't like his mouth being open. Yeah, Mega Man has had some very interesting artistic portrayals over the years. No doubt about that. Kind of makes me want to go back and play Mega Man Soccer. Oh, everything makes you want to go back and play Mega Man Soccer. <laughs> anyway, that does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com and you can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at ChrisTheHoff and you can find Pete at BurlyRedYeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com. And if you like the podcast, of course, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Mashad. For everlasting peace. And our robotics professor, Dr. Wiley. At last the world will bow down to the genius of Dr. Wiley. We will see you next time.